Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Daniel chapter 1 and 2 Peter chapter 3. Daniel chapter 1 and 2 Peter chapter 3 in a Bible study I've entitled Daniel, a man of purity. Daniel, a man of purity. You know, as we survey our world today and we read the news and we follow all the social media posts, watching the latest events, seeing the times in which we live, you're probably grasp, you know, it's probably a, one of your conclusions is, is that Jesus Christ could return at any moment. That you're seeing the things in your generation and mine that are culminating toward an end. And I think one of the, one of the tactics of the enemy, one of the, the, the ways that the world lulls us to sleep is we just don't spend time thinking about Jesus' soon return. We, we just don't spend a lot of time on it. The, from the moment that we wake up, you know, there's, this, there's a habit that's been developed in some where the moment you wake up, you're right on your phone, you're checking this and you're doing this and you're sending this, like you're in the midst of communication or social media, you're just, the world has just conditioned us from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep to, to be caught up in the world. Not even, sin, not even necessarily sinfully, just caught up in all the activities of the world, all the information of the world. You kind of feel like you're left out if you don't check something, if you don't see something, or you don't post something. And, and we forget that our lives are not lived for what's temporary. We live for that which is eternal. And our hearts are drawn toward the return of Jesus Christ. And I believe that we are that generation I believe that we're the generation that will see Jesus. I want to be that generation that sees Jesus. I want to be caught up in the air with him. You see, the promise of his return stands stronger today than it has in any other time in recorded history. Even though every generation has expected Jesus to return, we are closer now than in any other time. And we are seeing not only the fulfillment of biblical prophecy but exactly what Peter wrote, notice with me in 2 Peter chapter 3, it's not only are we seeing prophecy revealed, but we're also seeing what Peter wrote come to pass. As he writes in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, of both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing first, now listen to what, listen to what he describes. This was 2,000 years ago, what we're reading. I know it's hard to conceive, but consider that our country is only a couple hundred years old. This was written 2,000 years ago, and this is what he says. He says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, Peter says, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with the water. But, heavens, but the heavens and the earth, verse 7, which now exist, 
are kept in store by the same word reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. But you, beloved, don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And God is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And, you know, let verse 11 burn in our hearts. Since these things will be dissolved, what manner of people should we be? What what is God looking for in our lives? Holy conduct and godliness. He's wanting us to live in such a way in our abiding in him to reflect his character and his nature and not to just dismiss the coming of the Lord. You know, because you'll speak with people about Jesus' return and the excitement that you have And you'll inevitably meet a scoffer or someone that's a mocker or makes fun of the coming of the Lord. And they'll probably say something like, hey, look, I've heard that from my mom. I've heard that from my grandmother. I've heard that, you know, and by the way, he said that 2,000 years ago. And you're like, well, wait a minute. The coming of Jesus is closer now than it was 2,000 years ago. Well, then why is he delayed his coming? He hasn't delayed his coming. The Lord is not slack You could say Jesus isn't a slacker. He's coming on the exact time that's predicted and that's preserved by God the Father. He's not slack concerning his promise. Don't don't you feel that way sometimes when you receive a word from the Lord or a promise from the Lord, but it doesn't come to pass right away? There's a temptation to think that God's word isn't true. It tries to undermine that, you know, maybe God's slack toward me. You know, he hasn't worked so fast with me. Inevitably, you know, there's a seasons in our Christian walk where we face trials, and in the early days of our walk with Jesus, our trials seem to have this pattern. Trials have a, a specific beginning, a really short middle, and then they come to an end, and you rejoice. And you go, oh man, that was hard. You know, it could be something going on at work. It could be something going on in your family. It could be just a real personal battle with substance or an attitude or some fleshly habit, and you gain victory over it. But in the early days, it seems like trials, they start, they have a middle, and then they end. But inevitably, at some time in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you will face a trial that has a definite ending and what seems like an indefinite middle. And it just it goes on and it goes on and there's seemingly no resolution. And when you face a trial that doesn't seem to have an ending or it has an ending and it looked really close but then it didn't happen and another year, and another year. And actually, in some of the events that you face, it's the exact opposite of what you would expect in a resolution in righteousness. And you're just like, oh, you know, these things are teaching you to trust in God and his word, not to undermine his word. And all throughout Peter, Peter would know as he's saying, no, you know, God's word is true. He's not slack concerning his promise. He's just not willing that any should perish. 
And in these last days, a commitment to be men and women of the book is very important. So we're going to learn with Daniel. We need to be men and women of a book, not books. We need to be men and women not of the, the popular voices of our day, the popular television shows of our day, the popular podcasts of our day. We're to be men and women of the book, letting it speak to us. That, that we're regularly allowing God's word to speak to us, that we're getting direction from his word, but also purity and holiness. It's a choice to be made. God, he dwells in us, and God, he reveals himself as the Holy Spirit. And so in order to live a life of holiness and purity, it is that surrender to the Holy Spirit that's in us, which leads to choices away. You know, a choice, you know, one of the most powerful words that you have in your English language and in other languages is simply the word no. No, I won't go there. No, I won't watch that. No, I won't click that. No, I won't put that address in there. No, I won't make that phone call. No. You say no to temptation and yes to God. It's a very powerful word. It's a powerful word that will bring holiness and purity. We're also to be men and women who live with a sense of urgency to get the gospel out, a sense of urgency to be a vessel, to be used by God to share the good news. I mean, with all that we're reading and seeing and following and just the insanity, I think, of, of the evil that seems to be rampant on the earth, the only hope of our world is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only hope, that lives are transformed one by one. There, there is no other hope. It's not in a system. It's not in an organization. Our only hope is found in Jesus Christ. And people are only, do, only introduced to Jesus through the gospel, the good news of the gospel. I think also we're to be men and women who occupy ourselves with the work of the kingdom. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not speaking of doing more things at the church and serving more ways at the church, as good as that may be, but rather the acknowledgement, men and women living, in, living for the kingdom in everyday life, everywhere you are, in every circumstance, with every person. We are the church. And so it's not just behavior that is within the context of our fellowship family, as fun as that is and as rewarding as it is, we are the church. And in the last days, we need to find, as we'll see in Daniel's life, faithfulness where we are. Not complaining where we are, but faithfulness where we are. Because complaining will interrupt. You know, just even if you don't complain out loud, you go, well, you know, how did you know I was complaining? I don't really say it out loud. Well, the Lord knows you're complaining. So oh, I don't like where I'm at. Well, what, what is that getting you? Just acknowledge it and ask the Lord to make it good. Instead of, man, oh God, I don't like it again. I don't like it again. I don't like it again. It doesn't bring you any closer to the Lord. How about this? You know, Lord, I don't like where I am, but I'm going to embrace it because you have me here and I trust you. It changes your whole perspective to be busy about the kingdom of God. Now that's where things get exciting because we're gathered together listening to a Bible study by God's design. I mean, think of it this way. You were born on a certain day into a certain family in a certain part of the world so that you will be right where you are by God's plan and design. Like everything that all the entirety of your life, some of it you know and some of it you don't know, has brought you to where you are right now. You're not here by accident. 
You're not in the city by accident. You're not in the apartment by accident. You're not working where, you're by, where you are by accident. You're not unemployed by accident. It's all being used by God. Each part of our life is designed to prepare you for today. Can't change yesterday. Don't have tomorrow. It's just to prepare you for the moment. God, that's where things are exciting. God, what do you want to do in my life? You think, but look, Ed, I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not doing what I really want to do. I can't overcome this. I'll never, no way can happen. And instead of encouraging, great heroes of the faith discourage you because you, can't, you don't think you can be like them. But don't forget, they were men and women just like you. I mean, real men and women with real issues, with real failures, with real difficulties. And we walk in the same pattern of those that have gone before us. They face the same struggles and the same issues of life that you and I did. A different cultural context and time period, sure, but the same thing. Remember when, when we were looking at Elijah, we, we looked in James and James let us know, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Like Elijah. Remember how many times God used him in miraculous ways? Elijah. But he was a man like you a man like us. And as we study through Daniel in the coming weeks, what made him strong, what made him overcome, what helped him to stand strong, what helped his faith to grow, what helped him to rely and trust in him was his relationship with God. You know, there's an old Sunday school song. I'm not sure if Pastor Michael shares it with the kids, but there's a song about Daniel that goes, dare to be a Daniel and dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose dare to make him known. And Daniel's going to be challenging to you. It's, Daniel's going to dare you in areas of your life as we focus on him, as we learn from him. I love studying books of the Bible that focus on a man or a woman. You know, as we're walking along and we can not only see the entirety of what God's doing, but we can see it through a person. The ups, the downs, the left, the right. And the world back then needed Daniel. Daniel was alive in his, Daniel was Daniel because that's what God's will was for his life. The world then needed Daniel's men and he literally was a young man who would stand for God even in the face of serious persecution. But you know, our world today needs men and women to stand like Daniel. Men and women like you and me to stand strong for the things of God, resisting the pressures of this world. Daniel and his friends are a people of prayer and conviction. And you'll see that unfold. He was a man of conviction. And I find that the, the more you stand for biblically-based, God-based, God-led convictions, the stronger you will be in the current of our culture. Not to have your convictions eroded. To be able to stand strong, refusing to compromise their faith. Refusing to compromise, compromise by giving in to the ungodly demands of a godless culture. I mean, Daniel lived in a time of out-of-control godlessness. He lived in an empire and had a position that was filled with sin, debauchery, arrogance, blasphemy, pleasure. You know, it'd be like Daniel working at the shop, you know, and the music is blaring and the pot's being, uh, what do you do with pot? Smoked. <laughs> smoking pot there in the back and music is blaring and partying and, you know, pornography's all over the shop. And like Daniel would have, he, he would have been right there in the midst of it. Except that in his context, uh, he was taken and kidnapped and brought into debauchery. 
His whole identity was changed. At least they attempted to change him. And he was faced with, I mean, just like as we see Joseph of old in Genesis, you know, he was, he, the temptations that were before him were extremely attractive to a young man. And being isolated from family and friends, being in a place of, you know, one of the most dangerous places you can be is alone. Isolated from the body. Isolated from friends and family. A man that seeks to isolate himself, the Bible says, is not wise. Brings destruction upon himself. It's not a wise thing. And here he is. He didn't really have a choice. He was taken in captivity. And the temptations that he faced, I mean, any young man would have been. Remember, temptation is not a temptation unless it's attractive. You're not tempted by stuff that you're not attracted to. You're, you're not tempted by stuff. Like, yeah, you know, when you're fasting. When you're fasting, even if you don't like McDonald's french fries, you're hungry for them. You can smell them a mile away. Like nobody's tempting you, you know, that when you're fasting, chocolate, you want chocolate. You, you know, it's the day that everyone brings, like today was a birthday in the office, so you brought all the bagels and all the cream cheese. Like, that, you know, when you're, you know, we weren't fasting this week, but if we were, like, oh man, thanks a lot. This is the day. Why couldn't you wait till next week to bring that in? Why is it today? Because you're tempted by stuff you want. Like nobody on a birthday brings in Brussels sprouts. Like why would you do that? Like they'd sit on the counter. Maybe somebody would sneak one away, but that's not a temptation. Or, you know, crusty bread. Hey, happy birthday. Here's a six-week-old green piece of bread. Like that's not tempting. And so when you think of the temptations, they're going to be directly related to you. That's why you can't really sit in judgment on people that have fallen to a temptation. Because, you know, we, whether we realize it or not, can be real self-righteous. And we look at a person and go, well, you know, I would never do that. Which is probably true. It's probably true. But you know why? Because I wasn't a temptation for you. You would probably never do it because you don't like doing that. But I suspect there's something in your life that you like doing that would be rarely tempting to you that wouldn't be tempting to the person that fell. Like, who are we to judge another man's brother, another man's servant, the Bible says in Romans? They stand or fall before their maker. And so Daniel, he's tempted with things that are related to him. As the empire there is, the Babylonian empire is severely persecuting believers. They were wicked. And the only way that he can endure in a wicked society was to rely on God's strength and commit himself to standing strong in the power of God's spirit and the purpose of his conviction. If there's something lacking among the body of Christ today, it is a God-centered, spirit-led conviction. And I'm not speaking of a media-based conviction. I'm not speaking of a strong opinion-based conviction. I mean something where God has spoken to you and you are standing strong in that conviction. Nobody can move you. It's not the way you were raised or it's not because you heard it from someone, but God has given you a conviction. And so as we're studying through the book of Daniel, and we'll take a few studies to introduce it to us, you're going to find a couple of things. Number one, you're going to find that Daniel was a man of purity, but he was also a man of prophecy. And it's important that we recognize that Daniel was a man of purity. And so this book will be extremely practical to us and for us as a church family. As we study the life of Daniel and his friends, we'll see commitment, conviction, and courage in standing for their relationship with Jesus or with God in trying times. We'll be inspired 
and we'll have lessons on how to live in our world today. But also because Daniel was a prophet, and Jesus refers to Daniel as a prophet, the book is also prophetic. It's a book of prophecy. Really, Daniel is one of the most important books in all the Bible, if not the most important one. Because Daniel, knowing the book of Daniel, is a key that unlocks revelation for us. It unlocks all of the end times prophecies for us. Daniel is a book that inspires trust and hope because we meet the God who knows everything and reveals to us the things that we must know. You know, we have that phrase, we're on a need-to-know basis and we'll know when we need to know. Well, God has us on a need-to-know basis and he will reveal to us what we need to know when we need to know it. And so because Daniel is such a powerful book of purity and such an accurate book of prophecy, it's again one of the books that's highlighted in the Bible that critics love to come against. And because people like to get distracted with criticism and arguing, and so people will attack Daniel. And they'll say Daniel's not legitimate, it's not a real book of the Bible, it's not, it's not inspired by God. And Daniel, we find, was thrown into a lion's den, as we study, by King Darius. But today we find Daniel being thrown into the critic's den because it confounds the critics. They have to do something with Daniel because it interrupts their whole worldview. They don't know what to do with it, so they decide to minimize it and ridicule it. This has happened to you before, you know. As you're arguing with someone and the person doesn't have an answer, what do they do? They attack you. Say, well, you know, what do you think about this? Well, I think about this. Well, no, I don't think about this. Well, you know what? I think you're ugly. Oh, man, where'd that come from? Well, it's just something to get you off track. It's actually not a part of the argument at all. It's It's an emotional attack. In logic, they call that an ad hominem. They attack the person because they have no argument on facts. And it happens far more than you realize, where things get personal. You know, if you've ever referred to something, wow, that got personal real fast, that is probably getting you off track of what the reality was, and it became something interpersonal because the, person, the other person you were talking to didn't really have an answer for the facts. So they gotta get you off track. Well, that's what they do with the Bible, and that's what they've done with Daniel in particular. Perhaps the largest accusation, and again, these are all preparatory things before we get into the book itself, but the largest accusation against Daniel is that he didn't write it, that he wasn't the author, that it wasn't really, that it really wasn't written by him predicting the future, but actually written by someone else looking back on human history and writing it as a lie, that the author really wasn't speaking truth predictively that God wasn't the author of Daniel. Daniel didn't write it, but rather someone wrote it afterwards. A third century heretic declared that the book of Daniel was a forgery written during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes and the Maccabees, which would have dated it around 170 BC, almost 400 years after Daniel lived. And since then, the liberal scholars have battled to make Daniel irrelevant and unimportant. Why? Because if Daniel didn't write it, then God's not God. If Daniel's not the author, and this isn't an accurate book of God, then God's not God. That, and if God's not God, then the entire salvation story is not true. That's why Genesis 1-1 is under such great attack. Because if there's no creator, then there's no creation, there's no salvation story. 
if you can undermine the reality of God creator who created humans in his own image and created a life and a direction and everything about us, if there's no God, then there's no accountability. And if there's no accountability, there's no need to be saved. If there's no need to be saved, then Jesus is irrelevant. As we would see in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our faith is empty. Well, if Daniel didn't write Daniel, our faith is empty. If God didn't in the beginning create, then, then our faith is empty. And that's why there's a constant undermining. And that, that's why when you're talking to people on a much lower level, you know, just kind of talking at work and talking about the things of God, Almost inevitably, you will meet someone who says, oh, I don't believe in the Bible. It's filled with contradictions. Can I just ask you, I'm going to teach you how to handle that so you're not so tripped up by that. Because that, that sounds like a pretty serious uh, accusation. The Bible is filled with accusations. This is how you handle it. Show me one. Well, you know, and they may have something and say, well, can you show me? So let them, let them answer. Like, have a conversation. You don't have to argue about stuff. Have a conversation, show me one. And they might throw one out in the middle of, you know, make something up. Then you respond, can you show me in the Bible what verse you're referring to? That will change the whole conversation. Now you may judge, now you go, wait a minute, Ed, what if they show me the verse? <laughs> well, with a little bit of study, you can answer anybody's accusation. Just a little bit, not even a lot of study. A little. The, the tools that are available today are amazing. So it's okay if they go that far. It's okay. You can even call Calvary Life if you like. Ask one of the pastors. They'll help you find the answer. So you've got resources for that. But, but if you put it back to a verse, then you're, you're causing that person to root their accusation in a fact. And really, they're going to have to find two verses. If the Bible contradicts us, they're going to have to give you two. And in this case, I would say at the very beginning, don't offer them your Bible. Let them find one. Let them put it back on them. You know, maybe, well, I don't have a Bible. Well, I'll get you one then. And you can take one of the Bibles and give it to them that's here. And don't be so quick to, you know, be overwhelmed by, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. Really? Can you share one you found? Well, you know, such and such and so. Oh, yeah, you know, I kind of heard about that one. Can you, can you tell me the verse? You, where, in that, where in the Bible is that? Because I really want to help you. Well, well, no, no, no. I mean, really, I want to help you with this. Well, you know, I don't even have a Bible. Okay, I'll bring one tomorrow. Well, I didn't say I wanted one. I just said I didn't have one. You know, it's like, but, but you're building a bridge with someone. You're not arguing. You don't have anything to defend. You don't have anything to, to, to be defensive about. Let's just talk. If they want to talk about the Bible, even if it's about a contradiction, that's fine. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you learned. Tell, tell me where you're coming from. I'm willing to talk to you about it. And then I'm going to root it in the text. Because if I can get them into the text, God uses his word in powerful ways. It's a powerful thing to open the Bible with someone. It's not just my opinion that there. It's not just an opinion that there are contradictions. Well, which one? You know, there's millions of them. Okay, well, just show me one. Two. Let's talk about it. Because it may not be a contradiction. You might be wrong. There's a good answer for what you read or what you misunderstood. You know, God through Daniel predicted, this is amazing, through Daniel, God predicted the rise and fall of world empires with amazing accuracy, so amazing that they are 100% accurate. And that's what confounds the critic. The accuracies of prophecy are amazing. 
It was Josephus, the Jewish historian, in his Antiquities of the Jews, volume 1, page 388 from the volume I was using, tells us how in 322 BC, Alexander the Great was coming down through the Middle East, conquering the known world. He was absolutely unstoppable. And he came to the area today known as Israel, and he came right into Jerusalem. And he was approached by a priest with a scroll of Daniel in his hand. And he tells Alexander that he's mentioned in the Bible. And he shows him how he fit into the prophetic picture of God. And Alexander, it said, Josephus writes, was so moved and touched that he would be mentioned in the Bible that he spared the city of Jerusalem and moved on. Secular history records this event, as does Daniel prophetically. Even the book itself claims to be written by Daniel. Fifteen times. The book itself claims to be written by Daniel. You know, again, if you want to go through, if if you just want to turn the page because you're in Daniel 1, if you look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 2, it says, Daniel spoke saying, I saw in a vision, verse 2. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. It says, in the third year of the reign of the king, a vision appeared to who? Me. To me, Daniel. After the one that appeared the first time. Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, what does your Bible say? Daniel, understood by the books, the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord given through Jeremiah the prophet. So check this out. We won't get here for a while, but check this out. Daniel is reading the Bible. He's reading in Jeremiah. And as he's reading in Jeremiah, he recognizes that the word of the Lord that would be accomplished 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So here's Daniel reading Jeremiah, getting insight from God. I mean, we'll get there eventually. Daniel chapter 10, verse 7. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. Daniel claims to be the author on more than one occasion. It certainly sounds like he wrote it. In fact, as you read through, it sounds like he anticipated the criticism that would come. But even more important, again, remember, let's say you're you're talking to someone that you're studying Daniel and and, uh, somebody might have read a book on higher criticism and they came to the conclusion or they learned perhaps in a seminary class higher criticism and they bought into a theory that Daniel wasn't written by Daniel. Remember most of the arguments that people have against the Bible or against a true event in the Bible actually aren't with the Bible. Their problem is with what Jesus believed. Because in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is recorded as saying, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, and then he gives instruction standing in the holy place, whoever reads him, let him understand. The real issue is Jesus believed Daniel wrote Daniel. And so the issue really becomes, do you believe what Jesus said or not? Because for Jesus to say this, either A, he believed and taught a lie, That's an option, that by the time Jesus came along, these theories of the criticism of Daniel would have already taken place. So you have Jesus, maybe he, you know, maybe he's believing a lie and teaching it, or he's just deluded and he doesn't know what to believe. So he's just going on with whatever is common in the day, or he is who he said he is. He's God in human flesh and he knows Daniel's the prophet and he uses Daniel the prophet as an example for end times events. And I have found over the years, not many people, although it's changing these days, but I've found over the years, not many people are willing to call Jesus a liar. 
Some are these days, uh, but not many are. And it really challenges them. Like, well, what did, if Jesus thought Daniel wrote it, then what's the issue? And so in Matthew 24, 15, for your reference. So like Daniel and Babylon, we need today to be men and women standing in purity and believing God's word. Believing the outstanding, amazing claims of God's word. Because some of them are just outstanding and amazing. They're, they're just beyond human understanding. We need to stand for what it's right with conviction. We, we need to follow in the footsteps like the church in the first century. Would you turn over to Acts chapter 5 verse 12? Acts chapter 5 verse 12 is to the right. As we learn, I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. Draw your attention to verse 12. Acts chapter 5 verse 12. It says, Meanwhile, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And the believers who were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade, no one else dared join them, though everyone had high regard for them. And more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. And as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that even Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Verse 16, Crowds came in from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and they're possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. And I just think, what an incredible time for the early believers. Signs and wonders were being done. The miraculous was happening. And the result wasn't some new miracle crusade or some gathering together. It was just changed lives. People being saved. Families turned around. And God's judgment in the church always results in a powerful move of his spirit. When Ananias and Sapphira were dealt with, then it opened up for the Holy Spirit to come. When I think of Achan in the time of Joshua, once, he was, once his sin was revealed and judged, victory returned. And God needs to reveal anything, any type of sin that you're hiding so that life can return to you. Because living in hidden sin is not life. It's death. The wages of sin is always death. You know, we just came off of a weekend remembering the resurrection. And one of the difficulties about embracing the resurrection is that without a death, resurrection can't take place. And you know, Ananias and Sapphira revealed the, the wickedness. I'm grateful that God doesn't do that today. Just wiping people out for lying and stealing and, and compromise. But it was a, a reminder to the early church. You know, we still experience pain when sin's revealed today. There's still consequences. But life comes as quickly as you grasp it. What is needed in the church today is a commitment to holiness and purity. And when I mean the church, I just mean our church. I mean, I, I'd love to see it, you know, a wave among the church. But, like, we're just responsible for our house, our lives. And what's needed for us is that consistent, solid teaching of God's word to remind us of his purity and his holiness. You know, the Bible brings healing and health to the body. Like husbands are instructed that we might wash our wives with the water of the word. That as a church we might be washed with the water of the word. And even today the scoffers not only undermine the Bible, but they make fun of Bible study. I suspect that at least one person tonight, somebody made fun of you for coming to Bible study. Somebody asked you, what are you doing that for? 
Somebody said you can listen to that on, online or you could get, grab that. Or you don't, you're, you, someone's trying to undermine just even your desire to be fed the word of God, to receive it, to, to say, well, you know, that, that's just one teacher's opinion. But the Bible already covers that, does, doesn't it? It says just test all things, hold fast to what is good. That, that we take what we learn, but like if we don't present ourselves to the word of God, then it won't have a change in us. I mean, you can listen to, or you can watch a, you know, maybe you're binge watching right now a favorite show, and that's just what you're doing. You're just watching a favorite show. If it's, if you're binge watching something on Netflix, it is not building you up spiritually. It's just not. It doesn't mean it's sin. doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It just means you're not being built up. If all you do is have a, staring at a screen, playing video games on your phone, it is not building you up. It is passing time. At the very best, it's passing time. At the worst, it's wasting time. But I tell you, if you just spent five minutes in God's word, you're going to have five minutes of edification or an hour or a half hour. If you just take your app on your phone and just listen to the word of God, just listen to it. Just let it soak into your mind. If, if you even take some music that glorifies God, then, then God will build you up. But we... We don't do that, and therefore we suffer. We aren't dedicated to a consistent diet of God's word, and therefore we suffer. For me, because my life is centered around the word of God, I have to be especially careful, because I can just be a professional studier, finding things to talk to you about, instead of letting God talk to me first and foremost. That's why, why else would I teach? If God wasn't speaking to me, then I'm just a mouth mimicking whatever I read or whatever I heard. I need to, I want to, I want to open the Bible not just to, to read and study for you. The Bible's for me first. And we, we would do well to dedicate ourselves to the word. We would. People need to be set on a rock and taught God's word. The Bible's like a mirror, James says. And when you open it, you see how God sees you and it draws you to him. The word of God is a cleansing agent in our lives. Jesus said in John 15, verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How would we ever come to the place of repentance if we didn't have a Bible open, letting the spirit of God speak to us? And then there we are going, oh man, what are you doing there? What's happening, Jacob? How could you let that happen? Or David, what were you thinking? And all the while God's saying, yeah, I see what David's, yes, I see what David's doing. And then he begins to say, oh no, look in the mirror. Who do you see? You're like, oh man, not, not David. I actually see a little bit of myself in David's decision. And then you just have a conversation with God as he speaks to you about your life. And he draws you to himself. Our time as our time in Bible study, our time in devotions, our time gathered to as a church, our time with the Bibles open before us is not a self-help session. You know, we're not watching Dr. Phil as he assesses our life in five-minute segments. Five minutes of Dr. Phil, 10 minutes commercials. That's not why we're gathered. We're not gathered to figure out how to help ourselves how to handle our emotions, how to lead our families, how to control our finances. Our time gathered together is in first and foremost to worship God. He's on center stage. 
He's not someone that's just going to dispense little uh, tidbits of information so you can have a better life. He's giving you and discipling and changing us so that we can give a better life to others. And while we're serving others, we're blessed. While we're thinking of others more highly than ourselves, we're blessed. Our time to gather together is to worship God and to bring change and development in our lives. It's the Spirit of God working through the Word of God that brings lasting change. Turn over now to 2 Timothy. And of course, you know, we haven't read anything in Daniel yet. It's all preparatory. It's all preparatory. So you have these seeds planted and you're equipped with the truth. Notice with me 2 Timothy chapter 3. Pick up in verse 13, would you? It says, but, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, remember Paul the apostle wrote this letter to a young man named Timothy. So he's saying, you, Timothy, continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, that from childhood you've made known, you've known the holy scriptures. Now, isn't that a great testimony to have? Since you were a kid, you've known the word, Timothy. With all that's happening around you and how difficult it is, this is a special word to pastors, you know? Pastors and leaders and those that that serve in the church environment so often deal with other people's problems, with other people's hurts and pains, with other people's difficulties, with other people's, the consequences of their sins. You know, it can just be overwhelming at times. You know, we as a church, we see seasons, and some seasons are harder than others of what we're dealing with. And, you know, I, I think of the youth, the guys that serve in the youth, you know, and the youth go through seasons. Um, there are seasons of cutting, there are seasons of suicide, there are seasons of hopelessness, of peer pressure. It's just seasons, and it's so difficult, and it's so hard. And so what, he, what, what does he say to those that serve? He says, you know, you stay strong. Continue in the things that you've learned and you've been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, that as a kid you've known the Bible. And that's what you've learned, and that's what you're to continue in. The Bible, the truths of the Scripture, that from childhood you've known the scriptures that are able, look what is the Bible able to do? Number one, make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. That's where wisdom comes from. And, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, which would include Daniel, by the way, and is profitable for doctrine, teaching you what's right, for reproof, teaching you what's wrong, for correction, teaching you how to get right, and for instruction in righteousness, teaching you how to stay right. Did you guys write that down? The Bible is profitable for showing you where you're wrong, which isn't a popular topic. It's given to you, excuse me, number one, for doctrine, for where, what is right. Number two, what is wrong, reproof. Number three, correction, how to get right. And instruction in righteousness, how to stay right. The Bible covers it all. So that verse 17, the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. But the key for Timothy is continue in the things that you've learned. Continue in the things. If you were Daniel as a kid, handpicked to not only be kidnapped from your family and removed, but to be trained uh, and to be raised up to be a leader in a foreign country, 
the only thing you can do daily is to continue in the things that you learned. Continue steadfast. Remember the Greek word is uh, to bear up under, hupomone, to, to persevere, to continue. Um, today we may say not quit or turn back. Today we may say that we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that we won't be caught up in pride. That we won't be caught up in pride. Timothy, in church, you've been taught, you've learned. Others of your mother and your grandmother, we learn, were the ones that trained Timothy in the scriptures, these godly women. And with the condition of the church today, we've got to be men and women of the word. We've got to be wanting God to show me what's right. God, show me what's wrong. Show me how to get right. And God, reveal to me how to stay right. And so notice in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand. Which, by the way, you Bible students, this is 2 Kings chapter 20, about the time we were studying there. And some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace that they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them the daily a provision of the king's delicacies, of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. Now among them, those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah. If you like to write in your Bibles, let me just give you ahead of time as we get there eventually. Daniel's name means God is judge. Hananiah's name means beloved of the Lord. Mishael means who is as God. And Azariah means the Lord is my hope. And you'll see as you read on that the first thing they did was change their names. That's the first thing the enemy goes after is your identity. To make you believe you are not who you are in Christ. And it's not a new tactic. You know, as we're here in 2019, I believe God has a word for us directly as we study this book. It doesn't matter what the new fad is or the, what the new trend is in the church or outside of the church or what the new deal is on Instagram or whatever new social media has been invented. It's essential that we continue on in what God has taught us. You and I need, we need to hold on to the truths that we've learned and learn a few new truths along the way to really dedicate ourselves to learning what God, because the scriptures are able to make us wise. And we need wisdom to navigate through. Another song that we teach the kids in our Sunday school is the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And God is just calling us back to himself. He's calling us, even as a church that I believe we haven't veered from God's word in the 19 years that we've been together as a church. 
that we truly have as a leadership and, and under, under the leadership God's extended to me, just taught through the Bible every week, every gathering. You know, we've had a few services where we've creatively shared the Word of God, but we've, the Word of God is, is why we're here. But even in a church that's dedicated to the Word of God now, we need to continue on. We need to continue on. Because there'll be new fads. There'll be new things. There'll, there'll be new cards in the mail of some new thing, some new attempt to attract people. There's some new thing that, that are trying to grab your attention, some new wind of doctrine, some new weird thing. Even, a, even with someone you might know, say, well, you've never heard it this way before. Yeah. The Bible is pretty set. It's pretty, pretty predictable, the Word of God. But we like something new. We like something fresh. We get tired of things. And the Lord's saying, no, I want you to see that that commitment to the word of God is going to make you strong like Daniel. That even if your name is changed, even if you try to be retrained, even if you're plopped out of your, you know, the situation in your life, you're taken out of your comfort area, you're taken out of your life, your life is upside down for whatever motive, whatever reason, we need to learn to continue on. Because notice in verse eight, I love this. Again, we'll get there in future studies. But even as all of this is happening in Daniel, he's about 16 or 17 at this time, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies or with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So, so notice this, Daniel purposed that led him to request. Made his purpose led to godly. See, so whatever direction your purpose is, is how you'll make your decisions and how you'll make your requests. So it's pretty cool. We'll get there. But with all that in mind, just keep that in mind as we continue to study Daniel, uh, working our way through uh, piece by piece. So Father, thank you for Daniel's example and for the beauty of coming together. And you know, I know that Daniel inspires me, Lord. It's going re- to be a refreshing study for me as I learn about Daniel, as I, I walk in his, you know, I walk in his footsteps, you know, and kind of imagine myself there and and I know I've been challenged on a few things in my life, Lord, to stand for conviction, um, not to fear man. And I pray that you would establish me, that I might be a good example to stand on conviction and not fear man. And that I would abide in you, Lord, drawing my strength from you, drawing my wisdom from you, being encouraged by you, that I might walk in integrity and purity, and purpose. God, that you might use the gift of exhortation and the gift of prophecy from my lips. That I would be able to stand fast with your word in a, among a crooked and a perverse generation. That I might have a strong word for the church. Our church and the church that has a tendency to get caught up in things that don't matter. It has a tendency over a slow amount of time to develop really bad habits. And so would you help us, Lord, to navigate a very challenging world that we're in and that like Daniel, we would purpose in our hearts, we would stand upon our convictions, but not for our own purposes, to win an argument, but rather to bring you glory and to be a witness of you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. 
We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.